Well, good evening to each one again. Greet you in Jesus' name. It's a blessing to be, well, it's, it was a blessing to spend the day with you and to get to sit in a few classes and take some of that in and learn again. I, I learned today as well. And so we're continuing on in our mission emphasis. Last night we discussed the motivation for mission. We had that little quote by Oswald Chambers that said, our motivation is uh, not necessarily the needs of people, but the command of Jesus Christ uh, should be the primary motivating factor for mission work. It's, it's the heart of Jesus Christ. It was the command of Jesus Christ. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. That's what Jesus said. And now tonight, continuing on, I didn't think it would be complete to have a mission emphasis without talking about the missionary and without making it somewhat personal. And sometimes as speakers, we have the, we, we have the problem of giving, giving illustrations about ourselves on the things we did right and the way things turned out right. And I thought of two times there are many other ones, but at least two times in my life where my heart was not prepared as I entered into mission work. Remember one of the first times that I was involved in a rescue mission service. It was, it was in a city a couple hours away from our place. There was a group of us went up. It was a rescue mission, and we gave us we had a service. We had some singing. We had a message, and there was an invitation given. And as the invitation was given, there were those that came forward. And the person giving the message and the invitation, he pointed at me and he motioned me up front to come and counsel some of these people that responded. And I suddenly froze. Never did anything like this. What if this person, what if this person wants to receive Jesus Christ as their personal savior, I have no idea where to start, what to do. And I remember walking forward and kneeling down there beside that individual. I don't even remember what I said anymore, but I'm, I, it didn't make a lot of sense. It didn't make sense to me, and I don't think it made sense to him. And I finally, we, I had prayer with him, and concluded, uh, but I've always felt awful about that moment, because there was a person that had a need, and I don't think I met that need that night, and you might be tempted to say, well, it's just a rescue mission service, and those people probably respond every night, and that might be true, but don't make any excuse for me and my preparedness. A number of years later, I was involved in a group that went to South Carolina to a prison crusade, they called it, and you, simply what you did was walked into prison, back into the pods, and you started talking to people. 
And I found that very challenging, but I made it through that part of it. And then they took us out to what they called solitary confinement. And you walked into this, this large room that had a, a lot of small cells on either side, and there was this hallway down the center, and it was all concrete. And so inside this hallway, the sound just bounced around. And so they said they want everybody to go and to pick a cell and to have a conversation with the person sitting in solitary confinement. And I walked down the hall, found a cell that there wasn't somebody at, and looked all around, and there's, there's no opening. And finally, you get down about this high off the floor. There's a little opening about that wide and about that high just enough that they could slide a plate in and out. That was all the opening that there was. You had to get down on your knees and bend over and talk through this little hole. And as you're trying to talk and trying to listen, you have everybody else all around you doing the same thing. And it's very hard to hear, very hard to understand. And I remember kneeling down there and looking through that hole and seeing eyes looking back at me, and again, having no idea where to begin and what to say. And I finally made a little small talk and found out that it was a, it was a younger, it wasn't a very old, he might have been 18, very young. And they only go to solitary confinement if they've been causing trouble, and so he didn't really want to talk. But I tried to talk. And we got nowhere, it seemed. And again, I left there feeling like that I had totally left that man there sitting in solitary confinement down. If I had it to do over, the least I could have done was simply read scripture to him or something if he didn't want to talk. And again, I felt unprepared and unready for that work. You see, a missionary, oftentimes when we hear the word missionary, we think of someone who has went to another country, spent years away, and we call them missionaries. They went, and they're on the mission field. But a missionary is somebody that is simply doing the mission, uh, working out the mission of the church. And that could be in many ways. And a missionary is someone who has to be prepared in their heart, in their life, to enter into the service of God. I want to start tonight in 2 Samuel, chapter 23. There's a story here in 2 Samuel 23 that we'll use as a, just a little bit of a springboard for the message. And if you work down through 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 23 from about verses 8 and following, you'll find a, a list of men, mighty men that are referenced. Um, mighty men, it says, that David had and all the deeds they did and the things they did 
men that did great things. Would you get down to verse 14? And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men broke through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. I think there's three words that define this incident in David's life. The three words are desire, decision, and deliberate act. Four words. Desire, decision, and deliberate act. If we could run through the story again, I, I see David, and it says he was in a hold. And I, I, the, the, the thought there is kind of like he was backed into a corner. So I don't know exactly what this hold was, if it was a cave, uh, what exactly the hold was, but he was there. And possibly he had been fleeing from whoever was pursuing after him, the Philistines. And maybe he had been fleeing for a couple days. And maybe there was, had not been much water. And maybe he was there and he was very thirsty, desiring a drink. And as he was there, surrounded by his enemies, his mind went back to his hometown of Bethlehem. And he thought of that well and that water. And I don't know, obviously he had a drink out of that well, maybe multiple times. And maybe he thought of other times he was thirsty and wanted a drink. But he said, oh, if only I could have a drink. And that was the desire of his heart, for a drink of that water. And in unknown to him, the three men heard his desire, and they broke through, and they went, and they came back with a glass, cup, whatever it was, of water from the well of Bethlehem. And now it just wasn't something that he thought about and was longing for. Now it was something that was physically in his hand. Now he could feel the coolness. Now he could see the water. If it was cold water, there was probably water droplets on the outside of his cup. And the longing intensified. And as he looked at that cup of water, he realized that there were men who had risked their lives to get him that cup of water. And he said, I can't do it. I cannot sit here in ease and comfort when other men risk their lives for this glass of water. And as much as his heart longed for that water, he took it and he poured it out. It says he poured it out unto the Lord. 
That pouring out is a term that is called libation, which is simply pouring out something to a deity. And so he says he poured it out to God. He made a decision. He followed it through with a deliberate act of pouring it out. In Isaiah 53, you have, you have this kind of offering referenced again. I'll read a few verses in Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out, poured out his soul unto death. That same um, thought is present here in these verses, speaking of Jesus Christ, pouring out his life, it says, unto death. It was a life that was poured out. That same thought is used in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. If I be offered upon the sacrifice, that same thought, that, that being poured out, an offering to a deity, poured out to the Lord. And so tonight, January 14th, 2022, what does that mean? Is that just a good story about David? Or does it mean something from my life as well? Romans 12. Beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. And I think there's three words, again, that define our living sacrifice, that offering that we pour out to God. Three words, again, that define it, and that is desire, decision, and deliberate act. Desire. As I think of this desire, I think of, uh, in David... The desire came in a, in a couple different ways. He desired for that glass of water. But then that desire in him produced a conflict. And that conflict was, I have this water in my hand, shall I drink or shall I not? And I don't think that it was necessary an easy thing for him to take that cup and to tip it. But there was a conflict that was raging inside. And as, as you think about the desire part of giving your life as an offering, it, it creates a conflict. Because I hope tonight you all desire, above all, to do the will of the Father. 
And I think when we say we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that, that, that that's what we're saying. We want our lives to please and to do the will of the Father, however we can. But that desire creates within us a conflict. Because there is also that desire in us, it's a fleshly desire, that, that desire that, that runs counter to the desire to do the will of the Father. It's called our flesh. And Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Flesh and spirit, internal struggle. And I would say tonight that if you have never faced that intense internal struggle between the flesh and the spirit, then you have never wrestled with pouring your life out as an offering to God. Because sometimes there is an intense internal struggle that happens. The desire to do the will of the Father and the desire of our flesh who wants the easiest way, the path of least resistance. And that conflict comes from being caught in the conflict between good and evil, light and darkness that we talked about last night. Even Jesus, the Master, and just a side note here, speaking of Jesus Christ, the master teacher, someone said last night in talking about the discipleship and uh, how hard it is to get involved in disciple. And my mind thought, you know, Jesus Christ was the master teacher. It seems that Jesus Christ knew how to meet everyone on their level and perfectly, but the master teacher even had those that said, it is too hard, and walked away. <laughs> so don't be discouraged. Discipleship is hard work, and there will be people that walk away. But the master teacher had that as well. But Jesus Christ himself, the master was caught in the conflict. Think about him that night in the garden, sweating, praying, wrestling. God, can this cup pass from me? Do I need to drink it? I think, think of some of the other heroes that we have in Scripture. Jeremiah. Remember when God called Jeremiah? But God, I am a child, I cannot speak. What shall I say? Wrestling. Paul. We think Paul had the right words for everybody, and maybe he did, but Paul said, Our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Conflict, internal struggle. Oftentimes that internal struggle comes from knowing that there's something we need to give up. And maybe the call comes, will you come to our area and teach school? 
Maybe the call comes, I am from a mission board from such and certain place, and we're asking you, would you come? And immediately, that internal struggle starts. I want to do the will of the Father, but my flesh says my home, my job is pretty secure. Then we start to wrestle. I began dating a girl, and I had heard I had heard this teaching about giving in, giving up, giving your all to God. And when I started dating that first time, it was fairly simple for me. And knowing this teaching, knowing what I wanted for my life, to say, God. I'm in this relationship, I'm giving it to you. And I felt good about that. God, it's yours. If you want me to date, I'll date. If not, that's fine too. And God said, thank you for that commitment. And he took that girl right out of my life. Broke up. Crushed. Broken. A couple years later, I started dating again, my wife now. And now I'm thinking about this, am I going to give it up this time? And it wasn't easy the second time to say, God, I'm in this relationship. If you want me to date, fine. If not, I'm willing. Because I knew what happened the last time. And there was an internal struggle. There was a wrestling And I can take you to the place yet today where I finally, very quickly, said, okay, God, I'm done. And fully expected then that within the next week or two, I'd probably break up. I'm thankful it didn't happen this time. God said, thank you for your commitment. You can keep this one. But there is that struggle. And I want you to know tonight when you're in that struggle that Jesus Christ was there too. And he is still interceding in Hebrews 12. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Jesus Christ knows all about that conflict. The author and finisher of our faith. There's a desire. There's a decision. There is a point in that internal struggle where we reach the place of decision. And that decision is going to yield one of two results. There's going to be a resignation or there's going to be resistance. Jesus, 
We referenced him wrestling, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Resignation. Think of Esther. Facing the king. Facing walking into the presence of a king who had her future in his hand. Her life in his hand. And she said, if I perish, I perish. Resignation. Isaiah. Here am I. Send me. God said, who will go for us? Isaiah. Resignation. Paul. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Resignation. Failure. To resign will start to produce in us the fruits of resistance. And we will start trying to justify our position. Trying to generate, justifying our position to try to generate uh, peace within ourselves that we feel okay about our decision of resistance. And I believe tonight in a peace that passeth all understanding. But that peace will only come at the point of resignation. And oftentimes we, we pray and we pray and we say, God, I want peace. And we wonder where that peace is. But until we have resigned then we can experience that peace. I, was ordained as a bishop at what I think was a young age. And I shared a lot in that ordination with two men that were much older than myself. Uh, they were, I think, right around maybe 55 at the time, maybe even closer to 60. Two other men and myself. And those men, I felt, had weathered all the things that church life had to off throw their way. Weathered them well. They came out faithful. Pillars in the church. And I was somewhat facing a culture that said, if you don't have believing children you're not really qualified to be a bishop. And that was some of my peers that were saying that. I'm trying to think at that time, I think my oldest child was two, three. Not sure, wasn't very old. And so in their mind, I didn't qualify. And there was a wrestling. And for a long time, there was wrestling, even, even to the day of the ordination. And I remember walking in the church, walking to the front and taking my seat beside those two older men. As I sat down beside those two older men, I 
prayed a simple prayer and I said, God, here's these two older men. I think they're very qualified to fulfill this responsibility. If you want to use them, that would thrill me to death. But if not, I'm willing. And now, all I can say is that day I experienced the peace that passeth all understanding because I can't explain it. I think as the rest of the process took place, I was the most at peace of anyone in the whole church. You know, sometimes there's people that are tense and uptight. At that point, I wasn't really. And God can grant that peace, but it's going to be at the point of resignation. It's going to be at that decision moment where we resign. We say, God, I'm willing. It's painful sometimes. These folks that say Christian, the Christian life is a fun, it's a blast. I think I know what they're saying, but I cringe sometimes at that, those comments. Because sometimes it is very intensely hard and it's intensely painful. It's not fun to have to walk a different direction from all the rest of your peers. It's not really a fun thing to do. It's not a fun thing to yield yourself and God say thank you and take your girlfriend out of your life. It's not fun to give up the flesh and to fight against us, fight against it. And Paul says in Galatians 17, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that that was literally bearing in his body marks. And I think if you would have saw Paul's back, there would have probably been scars there from the beatings he received. Those were the marks he was referencing. And that wasn't fun. But that was his resignation. Because he had given his life to God as an offering. Desire, decision, and deliberate act. The deliberate act is the answer to the decision. It's, it's obedience. It's the following through. It's the test of our commitment. You see, it was one thing for Abraham when God said, Abraham, take your son and take him out and offer him as a sacrifice. It was one thing for him to say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. It was another thing for him to walk his son to the top of that mountain and to place his son on that altar and to raise his hand to slay him. There's one thing for Jesus to wrestle and to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But then to face his friend, his disciple, coming, betraying him. 
the servant of the high priest. His ear was cut off, restored the ear, stand on trial, and said nothing, and be put to death. It was one thing for Esther to say, if I perish, I perish. It was another thing to take those first trembling steps into the presence of the king. And it was one thing for Paul to say, I press toward the mark. When this was his experience, prisons more frequent and deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Three times beaten with rods, once stoned. Three times suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches." And it's one thing to say, God, I offer you this water. I offer you this cup as an offering. It's another thing to tip the cup and to watch all those dreams and hopes be poured out. What do deliberate acts look like? What is the following through? What is the test of our commitment of being poured out? Ask yourself a question tonight. What if, what if God had control over every one of your decisions? of man's decisions? What if God had complete control over all those decisions? I wonder if it would be June or July or August and there would still be schools desperate for school teachers. There was a young man from our congregation who was an MAM serving there, and he came home for a time, a couple months. And I was talking to him when he was home, and I asked who took over his place while he was home, and he said there was nobody. Nobody to take my place. The church just has to get by as best they can. Is that really the heart of God? Is God coming up short when he's looking for a life to be poured out? When he's looking for those who are willing to make decisions and follow through with deliberate acts? When you ask what that looks like in 2022, 
And I'll see if I can get this to work. Halfway. Maybe it'll come. If it don't, not a problem. We can go in without it. <coughs> I was in India a number of years ago. We're still halfway there. And while I was in India, the Hindus were having a, a festival. There's the whole picture. All right, we'll explain it now. Hindus were having this festival. It was, I think it was a two-week festival in which they made these elephant gods, they called them. Every little prefix, city, village, whatever, was supposed to make one of these, and they would set them in their village. Some of them were this big. I think the biggest one, they said, might have been like 40 feet tall, and the smallest ones you could hold in your hands. But thousands of these gods were made And I watched the concluding day of this festival. Every night, you'd go into villages, every night you'd see worshiping around these gods that they had created, dancing, music. And this god was supposedly to bring them prosperity and blessing. And at the end of this festival, I was there that day, thousands and thousands of people, crowds. And what they did at the end of this festival, they took these gods down to the river and dumped them in. And they dissolved and washed away, and that was the end for another year. And I thought to myself, with India's starving millions... Why would they spend so much money on these useless gods? Think of all the people they could feed with the money wasted. And I ask myself, why would you do it? Why would you waste this money? We're moving slow. Well, why would you? You think of all the useless things that we spend our money and time on. And I'm not trying to say tonight all these things are bad. I just want you to think about if God had control of every decision that you made. And I think of India and their silly elephant and that extreme waste And I thought, don't they have anything better to do with their time? What if all the time spent on these gods were spent helping their fellow countrymen? 
extreme need and extreme poverty in India. And hours and hours and hours spent. And what if all those hours could have been spent helping their fellow countrymen? Think of all the hours and hours and hours that we waste on some of these things. And I think there's a class on media, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and Google. And if all that time could be spent, you see, we're talking about what if every decision you make God could control. Silly people of India, you say, they waste their time. And the Hindus have millions and millions of deities, and this was just one. And I asked myself, what is the big ado about one more God? What is? One more purse, one more sweater, one more pair of shoes. What if God had control over every decision? Deliberate acts. And one of the things they did as these images were driving by that day, they were taking handfuls of money and throwing them at the gods as they passed. And the spare change went flying, never to be recovered. Never to be recovered. And what if God had control over all of our decisions? And this festival lasted about two weeks. Why put so much time and energy into something that is so short-lived? Why do we? Silly, elephant, why would the people of India wrap so much of their life into a dumb idol, one that can't see, hear, speak? What are they afraid they are going to lose? What are you? And again, I want you to know, I'm not opposed to all of life's little pleasures. I hope you understand that. But I want you to think about, we can say a lot about India and their silly elephant and the time and energy and money 
that they throw into those idols with the starving millions that there is and are in India. But what about some of the things that wrap up so much of our life? And if God had control over every decision, and there were lives that were willing to take an honest look at the decisions they would make, they would say, God, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your service, I'm willing. And it would be poured out as an offering to the Lord. And I can't help but to believe tonight if there were lives being willing to be poured out, our schools would be well staffed, our missions would have an abundance of volunteers because I believe that is the mission heart of God. I believe he wants his gospel to be preached in our communities. He wants those of our churches, of our neighbors to be discipled. He wants us to take the gospel message to other countries. He wants us to share of ourself and of our uh, material things. And as a missionary tonight, is your life one that is poured out unto the Lord? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you tonight. And we recognize some of these things are hard to talk about because there's so many things that go contrary to what our flesh would desire and want in the path of least resistance. And many times we have not turned our cup and allowed ourselves to be poured out. And so God, my prayer is tonight that you would take these thoughts and just help us to think about our lives and the decisions we make and the offering we have to give to you and a willingness to be used. And so we just commit this time to you and these words and these truths, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.